It's Monday, October 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today. Jason Moser in the house. Good to see you. Good to see you. We've got big entertainment in the spotlight. We've got big retail in the spotlight, but we're going to start with housing. Shares of Zillow Group down 10% this morning after the company is hitting the pause button on its home buying service due to overwhelming demand. Zillow issued a statement saying it is, quote, beyond operational capacity in the Zillow offers business. Okay, so (laughs) you can look at this and say, well, this is the proverbial good problem to have, right? They have so much demand. That's great. So much demand for the home buying service. But the fact of the matter is, they're pausing this because they didn't plan correctly. They didn't staff this correctly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, you're, yeah, you're right to a degree. I mean, I think um, these the market's reaction to me at least feels like an overreaction based on what we know. I mean, this is this is like you said, it's a, it's a nice problem to have. It is. I think it's actually it's less a Zillow thing. I mean, Zillow's partly to blame here, um, but I, I think they ran into some market conditions they simply weren't anticipating, and so yeah, they failed to plan for a given scenario, and that scenario is occurring. Um, so, so I mean, if you look at the 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 release on on Zillow's investor relations website. They note at operational capacity, Zillow offers to focus on signed customer contracts uh, and current inventory suspends signing of new contracts through 2021. So, I mean, this is really, I mean, through 2021 is essentially two and a half months. Um, It's not an issue of capital. Right. This is an issue of them being able to to not necessarily deal with the given uh, supply chain constraints in the market, and and uh, it seems like Zillow offers itself has has gained a lot of traction. I mean, if you look at the numbers just from last quarter, um, they purchased. 3,805 homes. They sold 2,086, and that generated 777 million in revenue for their home segment. That was that was half of overall revenue for the quarter. So it's it's a it's a part of the business that I think there was a fair amount of skepticism when they launched it because i buying was so new and they were making such a pivot. But I think generally speaking, they they've done very well with it. Um, this hopefully for them is. Maybe they're just being conservative here. Maybe they're just being a little cautious. Um, we'll have to wait and see, right? It's not going to be that long until 2022, and we'll get a better idea of of uh, where they feel like this is going to go. Uh, but but it, it it's not something they really you didn't you didn't get the sense in the last co- in the last conference call that this was coming. I will say that there was no there was no this vibe didn't exist in that in that last earnings call. So it is a little bit surprising. And as you said, we're only talking about two and a half months. Although, because they are the ones who put that out there, they really need to, in the next two and a half months, confirm we're starting this back up in early January 2022. Because if they don't, (laughs) then it does point to a larger problem than they're indicating right now. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, you don't want to see this just kind of uh, get pushed off throughout the the beginning of 2022. You'd like to see some clarity there. Uh, I mean, when you when you look at the market opportunity that exists, I mean, there are one point there's 1.6 trillion dollars of real estate sold in the U.S. annually. 
Um, and, and, and eye buying is a real opportunity. So you're seeing businesses like Open Door, for example, they really they aren't missing a beat. Now, granted, their business is more founded on that particular notion. Zillow is making a little bit of a pivot. I mean, the flip side of that is, hey, if you're a Zillow shareholder, and I'm not, but if you if you are a Zillow shareholder, you've got to feel really good about this core business that they have established uh, years ago through the the, the the premier agent listings and, the, and their their app. I mean, they they do have uh, more to the business than just the the homes segment, but the home segment is important. I mean, you have to remember too, it's not just homes because when you look at the lending side of their business, which is is small but it's growing. I mean, the Zillow offers business is accelerating the Zillow home loans business. I mean, they saw uh, Zillow home loans last quarter, they saw uh, 40% of, of purchase uh, uh, originations in the second quarter were sourced from those Zillow offers. So, I mean, this is something where it's not just one piece of the, of the business that's insulated. It has an impact on other, other parts of the business, but it's also nice they can fall back to that core, uh, that, that core internet business that they've, they've built out so well. Disney reports earnings on November 10th, but the company is getting a lot of attention in the meantime. This morning, an analyst report from Barclays downgraded the stock due to slowing growth for the Disney Plus streaming service. Uh, a few days ago, we had uh, one news report that CEO Bob Chapek was reportedly tapping some of his executives to quietly explore what it would mean for Disney to spin off ESPN what that would look like, what that revenue could potentially uh, look like as well. And right before we started to record this podcast, Disney announced a big shift in its movie lineup over the next couple of years. They pushed back the start dates of um, the next set of Marvel movies, um, the next Doctor Strange, the next Thor, the next Black Panther movie. Um, they also pulled four movies off the schedule altogether. Yeah. Um, take this in any order that you want. Um, but I think uh, you and I were talking right before we started recording. The, the movie, the, the movie uh, decision um, is the one that seems like it has the most X factors at the moment. Yeah, it feels like the movie the movie decision is partly a result of what just has been such a fluid situation here over the past year because uh, dealing with headwinds just from the pandemic. I mean, now we're in the middle of this supply chain crunch and and clearly having trouble getting people back to work. So yeah, there could be, and I mean, you're talking about the the relationship between these the studios and the, the cinemas. I mean, this it, there are like like you said, there are a lot of variables that are going into that decision, and I don't know that it's something that is really um, as as critical an issue for the business right now. I, I, to me, I think it's really interesting to consider this notion of of spinning out ESPN. I mean. I, it seems reasonable to assume that that growth in subscribers for their streaming services, if for Disney's streaming services, is going to slow. I mean, there was a lot of pull forward of the past year and a half for for obvious reasons. So to see that slow down isn't terribly surprising. Um, basing a downgrade on that seems, uh, I don't know, <laughs> telling me that water's wet. I mean, we just kind of know it. But, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I I do feel like with the the, the ESPN decision is one that I am really fascinated by because just a decade ago, I mean, we would talk about how ESPN was such a a strength of Disney, right? It was such an important piece of that overall puzzle. 
and, and, and things are just far different now, right? I mean, streaming really has become the norm for so much of our entertainment, and we're seeing that pivot. And, and so for Disney, I mean, for, for, for so long, I mean, we were all basically unconscious subscribers to ESPN, right? I mean, you had one way to get your entertainment. That was through cable. You got your cable package through your provider. ESPN was a channel there, whether you wanted it or not. And, and ESPN ended up getting a, a good portion of that bill as well because of the content that it had and the general demand uh, for its, its channels. Today, I mean, we stream with streaming, we subscribe with far more intent for the most part. And so that starts to play out, I think, on where demand for something like ESPN is going, because we have so many other other ways to get our, our sports entertainment now. Um, and it, it's not necessarily as conducive to streaming because it is one time uh you've got a lot of parties involved there in regard to advertising that the, the the price that the, the price tags for this for this content continues to go up and so you look at espn maybe it's a 10 billion dollar revenue business for disney today i mean they don't really break it out but there's some estimates out there you could say maybe 10 10 billion dollars is a reasonable uh, revenue number to, to peg on it today those expenses continue to add up. It's becoming less and less profitable, but particularly as they have to rely more on streaming and less on the cable relationships. So it seems like over time, they're just not going to pull in as much money from ESPN. Um, maybe it is something that frees Disney up to do other things if they did decide to spin it off. I mean, it's just, it's, it's fascinating for me to think that like 10 years ago, we would have thought this was just, this would have been like the, the ultimate sin spinning off ESPN. And today, you can really actually start to understand better why they might do it. You can, although it's hard uh, to think about who's buying ESPN from Disney. Who has who has the money? Because this is not something that would um, uh, be sold on the cheap. And and sort of, you know, I, I feel like we're going to get more clues. Like the, like this was a report. That, by the way, the company, uh, you know, through Julia Borston at CNBC, denied. Um, they denied the report. Um, you know, but it's it's not an official denial from the company. It's and I, like, look, we've I've I've talked to Julia Borston a bunch of times for Motley Fool Money. She's a great reporter. I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing you know sort of her source on that. Um, but come, like as a Disney shareholder, it's like yeah, I want. Bob Chapik to <laughs> explore all aspects of the business. And so it makes sense that he would just say to a couple of his lieutenants, hey, just run the numbers. I just want to see. Yeah. I just want to see what it would look like. And my guess is whatever that report ends up looking like uh, includes the word complicated a number of times. <laughs> it would be very like it would be very complicated. If you think about the contracts. Uh, the the live sports rights that ESPN has acquired, just taking that alone. So I I think if if Disney is truly going to one day spin off ESPN, we're all going to get a heads up on that in the form of things like um, the next time a big live sports uh, you know uh, broadcast rights is up for grabs, ESPN sits it out. If they just say no, we're not going to lock in in the same way that um, you know we see businesses cutting costs before they are um, acquired by a larger business. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. 
I, I absolutely agree. I mean, for for it, it, you just want to know, right? I mean, even even if nothing ever comes of it, I mean, you cannot blame Mr. Chapik for taking a look at the numbers and trying to understand the case today because it is markedly different than the case a decade ago. And so, just understanding uh, the facts of the matter at, at any given point in time, I mean, you certainly can't hold that against leadership and. I mean, it, 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 spinning, spinning, spinoffs are not always bad things. I mean, it, it, it's sometimes you have to kind of get adjusted to, wow, I mean, a world where Disney doesn't own ESPN, that would be crazy. Well, yeah, maybe, but I mean, I think there'd be plenty of interested parties out there that would be willing to, to throw their name in the hat. I mean, one that stands out to me immediately is just Amazon, given the, given the bets that it has been making uh, recently in the entertainment industry. Uh, I mean, it would never surprise me at all to see Amazon express some interest there because they have immediate distribution to 200 million plus Prime members, right? So, so that that would be an example of I think a, a party that could at least see uh, see a path to to growth and monetization there. Uh, one thing I feel pretty safe in saying, regardless uh, what happens. If, if, if there is a deal on the table, I am certain that Facebook will not be allowed to acquire it. Because <laughs> I don't think Facebook's <laughs> going to be able to acquire anything for quite some time. <laughs> Walmart announced a new perk for members of its Walmart Plus service, early access to Black Friday deals. With more and more talk about items being out of stock this year, Walmart is looking to boost its membership. Best Buy is doing something similar with uh, their new subscription service, Total Tech. I, I think this is a smart move by Walmart, and I also think the only way it backfires is if people sign up for it, they get the early access, and then they still don't get the items that they're looking for. Other than yeah. that, uh, this seems like this could juice the numbers for the membership service. I think you're spot on. I think the biz the biggest risk to this is just failure to deliver on the promise. I mean, if, if you 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 tell your your customers, your your members, or whatever, that you're signing up for something special, and then you don't deliver on that that something special, uh, that really is a problem. And and what's worse is you could just straight up lose shoppers altogether, right? It's someone who has been frequenting Walmart for some time. They decide to upgrade to this Walmart Plus, then they get shafted, and oh, just a poor customer experience, and they decide to try to take their business elsewhere. Um, I, I mean, I don't think that'll happen. I think this makes a lot of sense, and I think that when you look at Walmart and the position that they're in today, I think so. So there's no, I don't think they have any real firm numbers on how big their Walmart Plus membership is, but I think I saw a Deutsche Bank estimate where. The, the membership now is around 32 million households uh, based on, on surveys and estimates. So, you compare that to something like Amazon Prime, which has over 200 million Prime members, maybe that smaller member base is actually an advantage in this case because it's a little bit easier for them to deal with the logistics and, and get things from point A to point B and ultimately deliver on that promise. It's, it's going to be harder to deliver on that promise for 200 million plus people than it is for 32 million people or households. So, so maybe this is a really good time for them to be able to do this because they have, I think, I mean, they have an interesting relationship there with Walmart Plus. The, the cost, it's a little bit less than Amazon Prime, I think. The Walmart program is $99 a year versus Prime's 119 I think. Uh, so, so they're getting they're getting close uh, in 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 price, which means that they're going to have to uh, deliver some form of value. And and so, yeah, to me, that's the biggest risk for something like this is just not being able to actually deliver on what they're promising. 
but I fully, I fully understand why they're doing this. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. We've been uh, praising businesses like Costco and Amazon for a long time for running those those membership models that that cater to their loyal and and uh, and renewing members. And I think Walmart wants a piece of that action. When do you think they start sharing the numbers in terms of this? It's got to be a hundred million, right? Isn't a hundred million the magic <laughs> number where Walmart comes out and says, "Oh, and by the way, this is how many people we got in this service." I so I actually think that if this is successful this holiday season, I think this will be something they tout uh, for their in, in their first quarter of 2022 report. What they they when they report this holiday quarter, if it performs well. Uh, say it, it bumps them to 50 million or whatever. I, I think I think you would hear. I think you would. They'd like to brag on those firm numbers sooner rather than later. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for yeah. being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.